From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in bounding, purposeful Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are platformers and player agency. And so, if everyone's ready, let's start. We got some news at the top of the show. We do. Last night was Glitch's big birthday bash. Yeah. And uh, Fingence was up. Yes. Uh, people played it there. Mm-hmm. And Martha, you ran Mouse Guard. Yes, it uh, went really well. Yeah. And I ran some VR stuff there. It was really cool. Yes. But the whole event was really fun. It was a celebration of everything Glitch has been and also a hint of what Glitch will be in the future. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't, there wasn't enough references to tape home gaming, which I was... Saddened about, but <laughs> they did announce some crazy, uh, some nice things uh, coming up. Uh, so they are now a four hundred one c three five hundred one c three even better <laughs> hundred more, <laughs> which I'm I'm told is very good. Uh, I, I don't fully understand it, but uh, it basically makes it a real nonprofit, it's a tax-free hey. uh, organization. So, oh, good. Uh, well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, previously, Glitch as a as a, a nonprofit uh, was operating under um, it's like a financial stewardship. I might be saying that wrong, but some rela- relationship with a separate nonprofit that acted as its sort of um, as its agent in mm-hmm. all of those matters. And then uh, Glitch was sort of a. Um, uh, like a, a an affiliated group, and so it was really. It's a good way for a, a nonprofit uh, in its early years to get started, uh, handle finances, taxes, uh, you know, uh, like uh, contracts and stuff yeah, like that, okay. uh, payroll, all those sorts of things. Sure. And uh, but uh, glitches, you know, it's all grown up or growing up anyway, mm-hmm. and uh, it's now its own thing. So that's that bodes well for the future of and what what glitch is able to do now. Uh, under its sort of its own management, not yeah. that it didn't have a lot of autonomy before, yeah. Um, but sort of this is one of those, one of those steps in the life of an organization, and so it's really cool um, uh, to see to be there when it sort of takes its steps into the sort of the larger yeah. world of the nonprofit space. It's just moving on up, um, and you know that's a little bit behind the scenes stuff. But there was more more announcements at the party, right? Yes. So like, Lich has a board of directors um, now with this change with the five hundred one C, yeah, three, and um, they also are they're putting a lot of focus on like. Getting uh, helping indie devs through the indie dev process, um, and specifically, they're they're starting with Team Gravic, mm-hmm. who uh, is located here. I guess they have they have desks here and stuff, and also with my brother's game, uh, Hyperdot. So that's great. Yeah. So <laughs> Glitch is becoming something of a publisher. Yes, in yes, a sense. Yes. I, I think it was described uh, in uh, Ava's presentation as an independent uh, game label, kind of like, think, like, a, like a indie band label, sort of that yeah. sort of spirit. Um, and that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Glitch is going to have um, its community events, its, you know, its, its education programs like it always has, but it's going to actually start producing and developing and, uh, content and content creators. Right, yeah. And yeah, it's getting started with those two projects, um, a Hyperdot, which used to be called Anti-Piracy. Yes. People who've played it over the past year or so probably know it by that name. Uh-huh. And that, I guess, is that going to be out this year, do you think? Charles, <laughs> Charles, get back to us. Yeah, <laughs> get on the show and tell yeah. me. Yeah, and then Gravik, uh, a, a long history of making mobile games, right, yes. uh, many successful ones. Mm-hmm. Um, they have they have their desks here at Glitch, and they've been helping a lot, a lot with the uh, community events and the uh, educational events as well. And now their next project, Optica, which is this fantastic mobile puzzle game, uh, it's really quite incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be uh, uh, published through this uh, new relationship, uh, which is really cool. And they're employing um, one of the Glitch fellows. Um, uh, yes. to help design um, uh, uh, levels for it, so right, it's a really right. it's a symbiotic relationship. There's another, there's a, there's a glitch fellowship thing now right. that they're doing. They're having uh, people come in and make and work on projects, uh, and they get like pseudo uh, desks, 
I guess. They get to come in every once in a while and work on stuff here. Yeah, so it's uh, uh, projects that are either grant-funded mm-hmm. or, uh, uh, or commercial projects that have clients. Um, Glitch becomes the sort of like a go-between between the artist and the organization that's yeah. commissioning that work. And then uh, uh, that person gets to use uh, uh, resources here at Glitch, Glitch to produce that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did something a little bit, little proto version of that with the the holodeck uh, thing I did last year right. for Orchestra Hall. Yeah. Um, and uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah Ferret, who is part of the Widget Satchel team and has been on the show before, mm-hmm. um, uh, recently did a, a fellowship uh, with Glitch and Abdi Wak. Uh, who we always talk about and we love so much. Uh, he is working on a project as well. Mm-hmm. And I guess there's going to be more and more people as time goes on. And that's yes. just a cool way to, again, for Glitch to give back yep. to the community. So We're growing, y'all. Yeah. It's exciting stuff. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, again, I mean, um, you know, uh, half our, our listeners are local to this community. They're half, half are not. Um, mm-hmm. So hopefully this is interesting to you either way. Um, but certainly if you're part of this community, if, you, if you're local uh, to our area and you don't know Glitch or you've not engaged with glitch events and programs uh you know now's a good time to sort of get familiar um and uh, see what you know what you can get out of it and also what you can contribute to it yeah um because it's a big uh it's a big reason that glitch works yes because the people around it and 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 through it uh, uh make it better every mm-hmm. year. if you're curious about figuring out how to get involved or just you know curious about the whole thing you can contact us or contact glitch yeah and we are all very accommodating <laughs> yeah, we, we should. We'll put a bunch of like contact links in in, in this uh, episode's show notes, so more than we usually do uh, for people who just want to get some of those uh, first contacts. Uh, yeah. uh, through Glitch or through us or whatever. Um, yeah. So a big milestone. It was really fun. The party yeah. was great too. Friday there was. was like donuts for days. Like it was great. There were a lot of donuts. Oh man! I while I was setting up stuff for Mouse Guard, I could smell the donuts. I was <laughs> like, I want one of those so badly. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into it. Yes. Jump to that next platform. Oh, man. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about platformers, which is weird because I don't like platformers very much. Yes. Um, but I was hoping, well, one, I found a couple platformers that I do like and uh, recently. Um, and two, I was hoping to hear more about from people who like platformers, like what is fun about them? Uh-huh. Um, and just like go a little bit into what platformers are. Um, because I feel like there are so many like things that I'm like, oh, I like that game. That's a platformer. And people are like, that's not a platformer. <laughs> like probably my examples later on, you'll both be like, that's not a platformer. <laughs> well, I so. think like a lot of the foundational genres of video games, people are sort of guarded about what as officially qualifies, right? Yeah, so, yeah. 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 And it's been like, because platformers are so relative, relatively easy to make like every beginner tutorial is how to make a 2d platformer yeah um and like early games were were a lot of platformers because they were easy to put on a a thing Mm. that was only a couple megabytes (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's either platformers or shoot them up Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. you know interestingly um uh, there's a presentation at the idga meeting this uh uh month about uh writing nes games oh right uh, yes in modern times and um, uh, Andy and Scott uh, um, of Howling Moon, they did one for a game jam, and it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things they had said was, when you're writing an NES game, there's a lot that's actually fairly easy to do, at least with the sort of modern tools that, that'll make it work. Um, and the instruction set is small, and it's not a complicated system. So even though it's like kind of obtuse, there isn't, it isn't as big and unwieldy as, say, like a modern project is. Um, but one of the things they said was actually platformers, if it's going to, if you make a little project on NES, a platformer is actually really hard. Right? Oh, really? Um, because, huh. uh, it, it like, um, simulating a physics environment it, with, with no, uh. nothing on the back end 
is actually much trickier than it is these days where you have so many out of the box components to help you with that. Um, and that, and so the, the, like, er, like it still doesn't take a lot of memory, but like early video games, um, it wasn't really Mario is the more famous one, Super Mario Brothers, but um, it wasn't really until the sort of second era of video games that platformers became ubiquitous. Right. And I think it was mostly market pressure. Like the games that did well were platformers. And so then many more people made them. I don't know necessarily if it was a, a matter of them being that easy to make, but because yeah. we all grew up with them as a big popular thing, they are now the sort of default tutorial, right? Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess yeah. it all makes sense that the way that all that, that yeah. works. Mm. Well, when you learn about all the little tricks in Super Mario Brothers to make it work, you're like, oh, this is all hacked together. Yeah. Yep. You know? It doesn't look like it, yeah. but it is. <laughs> but I remember my, talking to my dad about just like making a hitbox. Like he worked on ColecoVision games back in the day. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about like making, like just calculating out if a sprite has interacted with another sprite. Like took so much, like you had to actually do real math to figure that out. Like <laughs> how big a, the square should be around it and like checking does it in like, intersect with another one each frame and like uh yeah just like the stuff that i just draw a box around a thing now in (laughs) unity that you know you had to calculate back in the day yeah that is so interesting i didn't we i didn't realize that at all it makes so much sense but like it didn't occur to me really until i think scott had said it in the presentation like oh of course like that is actually a lot harder than you than you think it looks so effortless because one of the things i read about uh, a long time ago about angry birds is that right. that parabolic arc is such a natural human impulse. Like when, like when you play catch with someone, think about all of the math you need to do to actually uh, guess where that's going to go and be in the right place. It's actually kind of astounding. Yeah. But he, we are instinctually as humans very good at that. And so when we see that in video games, it feels simple and natural. Mm-hmm. But it's actually kind of tricky. <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is one of the reasons why platformers uh, persist as a as a popular genre because it is it does they, it does feel natural to play uh-huh. the the interface of it is sort of you, you get it you know yeah uh, even though two D platformers particularly are not terribly realistic in their depiction of physics or very true um, that is true but it touches something in you that like you you can understand very easily yes yeah once you get it and if you're not falling off platforms with with your Mario dude <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah so like. I, I was reading about like lots of or thinking about like lots of different um, j- like subgenres of platformers because there's as we were saying there's lots of different types of platformers so right. there's like puzzle platformers there's like endless runners where yeah. your character is um, like you can't control how fast they're going they're just automatically running uh-huh. um, we have some um, juggernauts being made in the in the Twin Cities as an endless runner. Right. Um, then there's like adventure platformers, which are like, is that like Metroid? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where there's like a story and like right, stuff. And, and the challenge is more focused on combat than it is on like reaching on, on like precision jumping. Yeah. Which isn't to say you don't fall a lot in that game, but <laughs> it's not really the main draw. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I like a lot of the ones that I like are like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you can combine like, platforming with so many different genres like a lot of the ones i like are roguelikes and roguelikes are ones that you die a lot and then (laughs) (laughs) respawn very quickly Mm -hmm. um and so like uh like and then there are like really 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 hard platformers that the 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 point of them is to be really hard i call them dark souls platformers (laughs) (laughs) dark souls is you know 
a hard the Dark game. Souls of video games. Yeah, it's the yeah. Dark Souls it's of video Souls. games. <laughs> so like that would be like Super Meat Boy. Yeah. Where you like the point is to die all the time. Or yeah. color jumper. Or color jumper. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that one's kind of a puzzle platformer too. It's like puzzle it's plus. Both. That's what's, yeah. that's part of why it's a genius. Yeah. <laughs> because it's both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, sometimes those are called precision platformers, but I think that's a term oh, that's, that's kind yeah. of thrown around. It's not always. It's not super defined, I don't think. Sometimes yeah. people use all it a of these are than very not super defined. Right, right, that's true. I mean, like the platformer itself, it's kind of just if you can jump and land on a platformer, you got a platformer. But not all platformers jump. Like, oh, that's true. Like Captain Toad. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. And I was debating on myself whether or not that is an actual platformer or not because you can't jump. But I, yeah, I, I'm gonna say it is. I'm sta- I'm taking a stand. <laughs> that's yeah, that's a fascinating example of it because like the the it's it's if it if you consider it a platform it's like a puzzle platformer right because you have mm-hmm. to figure out how to get to places without being able to do the one thing that platformers are known for doing um so it's very fascinating in that way mm-hmm. i guess one could also argue it's a puzzle game and not a platform you know it is kind of a it is i would say it's like a puzzle platformer really yeah in, in the sense of like what challenges it gives the player mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to figure out a way to maneuver around the space. Mm-hmm. I guess that's like that's a lot of what platformers are. Is you need to figure out a way to maneuver around the space, either through timing or through getting through enemies or solving puzzles or whatever else. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that that yeah, I that counts. Mm-hmm. That counts. Okay, official ruling. Oh, I got it. Yep. Nice Games Club <laughs> stamp of approval. <laughs> that game's coming to Switch real soon. Oh, Yay! Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited. Over so excited. <laughs> I'm gonna play it for the first time. Ooh. I'm so excited. Cool. <laughs> I hope I like it. <laughs> I probably will because for the sake of our friendship I hope you like it too <laughs> well there won't be very much sliding off platforms probably so that's true yeah <laughs> um, there's also like shoot 'em ups plus platformers yeah what were thinking like Contra mm-hmm. I think so I read it on the Wikipedia article <laughs> <laughs> yeah like Contra would be one or mm-hmm. uh, Gunstar Heroes yeah. I used to play that a lot Hmm. Uh, like those kinds of games you know actually Contra is really the only one I know have, have any familiarity with that mm. style of game but it feels like a genre like, yeah there's a whole it, bunch of them there's like Contra clones but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, like Gunstar Heroes is, very, is similar to mm-hmm. Contra in that way yeah then there's like an in-between 2D and 3D 2.5D which I'd argue are just 2D platformers on a 3D um, isn't that there's a game being made in Wisconsin um, the Owl game What's it called? Owl Game. Uh, the, the website is thatowlgame.com. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> Everend. 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 Yes. Yeah. yeah, that one's, that one's a 2.5. Right? Yeah, it, is, it's, um, it looks like a 3D platformer and it has some 3D platforming elements, but then you, it'll lock you to a 2D path. Yeah, that's awesome. It's actually fairly elegantly balanced in that way. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There are some games that like, make you swap perspectives yeah. on them that are platformers. So, like Super Paper Mario is one example. Mm-hmm. There's older uh, Mega Man X games, some of which are really bad. That yeah. do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, I really want to talk about uh, maybe a little bit later in the topic about like different types of jumps. Yes, and like the how 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 to and like your camera angle and stuff. All of that is important in platformers. Going up from two point five, there's three D platformers mm-hmm. like um, Super Mario Odyssey, which I really like, and there's ones that came before that too that I never played. Sonic Adventure. There was 3D platformers before Super Mario Odyssey. Yes, Martha. Were there though? 
yeah, so like Sonic Adventure and 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 another super other <gasps> Sonic. Super I forgot about Sonic too. <laughs> Gotta run fast. <laughs> Gotta run. There's a lot. There's of a, I mean, after Super Mario sixty four, there was a whole slew of three D platformers right. uh, in that era. Yeah, like Banjo Kazooie. Right. Uh, uh, Rocket Robot on Wheels, Charles. Uh, <laughs> I said it. Yeah. Uh, oh, Spyro the Dragon, which Spyro. is getting a remake. Yeah. Now, Crash um, Bandicoot. Yep. Uh, and a lot of that's interesting. Those all had their own little unique mechanics. They did. That were different from how Mario did it. Uh-huh. Although at, now I think these days, I think when people think of a 3D platformer, they really think of that that kind of Mario game, right. and not like the way like Crash Bandicoot did it, which is a little bit different. Right. Crash Bandicoot was kind of uh, you kind of just like move forward all the time. Yeah. Or yeah. backwards sometimes. Right. It really made use of depth yes. as a as a as a concept yes. uh, rather than like open an open field or anything. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. That was a fascinating. That's a fascinating. Thing. So you didn't play any of these then when you were growing up? No. No. Well, oh, I played Jack and Daxter. Oh, okay. that's one. All right. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that one. Just now too. <laughs> Ratchet and Clank's another example. Yes. Oh, I never played that. I didn't play those games on PS2. I played them on PS3 once it was already like a big phenomenon, mm-hmm. and I I became a big fan of them in that era. Uh, I haven't gone back to play the original ones though. I don't know. I um, didn't have a, a PS2, so I would just play the. I would play specifically go over to my friend Kalea's house to play Jack and Dexter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I like, in addition to liking more roguelike or like adventure-y platformers, I think I like 3D platformers a lot too because a lot of them have like open worlds. So if you... Uh, can't get a puzzle, you can go try something else for a while. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which uh, is helpful to me because I don't like, Mastering, like mastery is not like a thing that I like very much in games. Mm-hmm. Usually, um, although lately I've gotten more into it, but uh, I feel like in 3D ones, you have more chance to, you know, come back to it later. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also uh, isometric platformers. So you're, it's like 3D, except everything's on uh diagonal to you sure oh right like a lot of times those are technically 2d games yeah right there's the example i'm thinking of a sonic 3d blast that was an isometric platform mm-hmm. it's weird because you don't really move very fast in that game and it's a sonic game so yeah you'd expect to be running fast but you don't. See, <laughs> this was i think when we start to come up with against the boundary of the definition because yeah. i think i'm thinking of like an isometric game i yeah. like marble madness oh sure marble madness and is like a great that channel. has jumping and moving but it has no platforms exactly oh yeah and, but i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna boot it out of the, the club or anything right. that, but but i'm just thinking like i i'm curious if that like how many examples are there that are seen as platformers instead of being seen as isometric games uh. right like in terms of how uh. you think of it a lot of this is really about language right, right? and how you categorize things yeah i find that super fascinating mm-hmm. I mean, we don't need. I don't know if we want somebody specifically to define these things. Yeah. Right. Like they're just useful to describe yeah. what kind of game you're trying to play. We've talked about me. this before in our genre episode right. about it being important. Uh, categorization is important to how we discuss things, but over categorization is a hindrance to criticism mm-hmm. and, and to actually analyzing things. Yeah. But also, you still do need to have a language to talk about them. So yeah. I don't know. I was talking to my brother and he doesn't really play platformers either, but he was like, does Mirror's Edge count as a right. platformer? And I was like, oh yeah, I guess it, it does. But it's it like... is <laughs> one. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd say that one. Yeah. Well, is Portal a platformer? Oh. I mean, you got to make precision jump sometimes. You know, oh. you know what? I, I think so. Like, yeah, I'm, sure. Why not? <laughs> All things are platformers. Are there no not platformers? Yeah. So those would be examples of first-person platformers. And I feel like there aren't 
very many that right. are strictly platformers first person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a local game being developed that's like Mirror's Edge, except you're racing against... Sparkor. Yeah, yeah Sparkor. That game is great. It, it is. is so much fun. <laughs> oh, man, that one's... So, so that's like combining racing plus yeah. first person plus platforming. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. What I like about that, like compared to Mirror's Edge, which is the easiest comparison, uh, uh, Sparkor is great because, because it is a racing game. You are moving forward, and it has a natural linear progression. There's branching paths, actually. Very clever level design, mm-hmm. in fact. But uh, it, it encourages you to then get better and use those things. Whereas Mirror's Edge is a narrative experience. And so when I played that game, it's very easy just to... It, you just A lot of things you only have to do once in terms yeah. of a pattern you have to do to get to the next story beat or whatever. Right. Mm. They do, in fact, have like challenge rooms and stuff in that game that's like part of DLC. Um, but I could never get into it because the game never encouraged me to engage it on that level. I was engaged at like a first-person adventure game. less than. But if I really thought about it as a platformer, I think I would have experienced it differently. And Sparkour engages you on that level of like huh. master these controls, get good at that jump uh, because of it, it is a, you know, a, a race from point A to point B. Right. And so you have to play that way. Mm-hmm. And so it uses that kind of in a better, better than how Mirror's Edge does, frankly. Yeah. Not to throw any shade at because <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love those games. Mm. Um, but I, I, there was like something I couldn't quite crack with them. And I think that mm. might be it. I haven't really thought about it that way before. Yeah. I like it because it does racing games better than, Racing games. <laughs> yeah. But we could talk about that on our racing game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll definitely have to uh, get some um, some GIFs or images of that game uh, that's been posted. Yeah. So, so listeners know what we're talking about. It's super fancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're de- trying to design a platforming game, yes. Um, one thing that you'll be thinking about is like common mechanics that you want, and one of them is jumping. So, yes. Stephen, tell us about jumping, because you yeah, know a lot about jumping. I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or designing cool jumps. I mean, I've, I've designed some jumps in my day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so really with jumping in platforms, you need to make sure that your jump makes sense for whatever tra- game you're trying to make. So, like, for example, uh, if you're trying to make a game like Super Meat Boy, there's a lot of precision jumping involved. And so you need to be able to precisely jump and control that jump so and how long you jump and how high you jump and all of that so designing your controls for that purpose um is very important whereas in a puzzle platformer like well with widgets that's what i suppose mm-hmm. um it's not as important you don't need to be as precise so you don't have to there can be some like floatiness or or uh, uh less less precision involved to get it to feel the certain way you want your character to feel um and in fact i want to get back to widget satchel and like adjust the jump in a way because uh, we have we we did make it so that like widget satchel uh, sprocket feels like a ferret jump, mm-hmm. which like I don't know how that we pulled that off because we don't no one knows how, to, how a ferret jumps. But <laughs> we watched enough YouTube videos. <laughs> we have seen a lot of those. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a uh, it's it's a real sharp up and down. Yes, it's, it is very sharp. It's um, a, a boom 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 kind of hop in, in a way. Right, right. Um, and in fact, uh, when we were working on the game for Ludumdare. Um, it made a lot of sense for the jump to be that way because mm-hmm. really uh, there wasn't a lot of precision platforming. You really just needed to jump up to get to a place. Um, and just due to the, the nature of the game, like jumping becomes somewhat less important, especially precision, as you progress through the game because you get heavier and you can't jump as high. Um, so really the jump, it was helpful that the jump was like really sharp like that because it was very useful for dodging the bots 
would all they would chase you as you had more widgets. Yeah, yeah. Um, it became an avoidance mechanism. But also as you got more widgets and got heavier, yeah. the the sort of quicker you could see the results and the more obvious the change in the, the jump heights were. Mm-hmm. Um like that. And that's something we still need to keep in mind because right. the game is still really about that. Yes. But it's not as much about dodging enemies. Yeah, yeah. It, as it used to be. There's more platforming elements. Uh like you have to be more a little bit more precise with jumps in certain ways. Um, and so we need to change the jump to make it that way. So I'll, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to approach it again. I'm supposed to spend some time next week to like figure that out. But I'm thinking that maybe like having the jump go up uh, slower, so you have a little bit time, more time to prepare, and then drop more dramatic or fast like it does now. Mm-hmm. So like when you make your decision, that is your decision, and you're locked into it. Uh, it I, I'm hoping that it'll allow you to like do. Uh, Jumps better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of uh, different jump design and platforming is when the decision is made on where you're going to end up. Yeah, like in um, in like Super Meat Boy, the, it's it's got a pretty um, it, uh, the as you let when you let go of the jump, you have a lot of horizontal um, uh, um, velocity still, yeah. right? And so it really is like shooting yourself like a missile. And so a lot of it is uh, the jump is the shot. Yeah, that you shoot yourself. Whereas in Mario, um, it, it, it's more about a vertical height, mm. and so it's when you're at the apex of your jump, that's when you make the decision about where you're going to land by guiding with the D-pad or something. And so, um, like how you determine the physics of it really is how you want to engage the player of when they make the decision on where they're going to end up. Right. Yeah. Right? Do you want super super precise jumping like in Super Meat Boy, where you? I think you have like. Full control. I think you have the same amount of control and movement. In that's you do. That's right. Yeah, yeah. There. It's just it just uh, um, weights it towards you know uh, one a part of the jump, the early part of the right. jump rather than the later part. Right, of the right. Jump, Which right? is extremely yeah. important in Super Meat Boy. Like, yeah. you have to be able to do that, yeah. uh, and you have to be able to hit those jumps. Mm-hmm. So you need that precision. But like, it's less important in, in a game like uh, uh, Super Mario. Yeah. Um, or like Limbo. Um, there's a talk that we went to. I think we talked about it on the show mm-hmm. uh, at a, a previous GDC talk. I think it's about like. How high? What's it called? How high jump or something? How high jump? It's like uh, <laughs> it's like you say jump, I say how high. So That's it's, what it's, it is. It's that 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 line. Yeah, we've, we've linked to it in a pre- in previous episodes because we come back to it a lot. But mm. we'll link it again because it's it was a poster talk. It's super interesting. Yes, and also super relevant. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things I think everyone should take a look at. Mm-hmm. Like as any game design, even if you're not making platformers, yeah. just the the it's distills that concept right. very well. Yeah, well, the limbo jump is particularly interesting because like, you can't really control your movement once you've jumped. Mm-hmm. You have to make your decision before, uh, before you press the button. Mm. Um, and so like, you, that, you have to put that into consideration before you decide, I'm mm-hmm. going to jump now. Um, and in fact, that is similar to how uh, fighting games do it. Uh, I guess they're not technically platformers unless you're talking about Smash and then that we can talk about that later too, I guess. But uh, like a lot of the times in, in, in fighting games, if you decide to jump, you, you have a set arc and you have a set height. And so uh, if you make that decision, you're locked into that decision until mm-hmm. you land. So you got to consider that too. In, uh, in Clawbreaker, you, yeah. add, you added a short hop. I did. Which is, gives the player a little bit more control over whether they want to jump into someone's claws or not. <laughs> yeah, and then you can jump to like reach something, but you can you don't have to jump to land on a platform every time. So it gives you a little bit it gives you more control in that way as well. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, yeah. That was that was a lot of it. Um I was convinced thanks to Lane about having a short hop and it I think that it did add a lot to it. Mm-hmm. It helped out. What about this thing that people have talked about a lot and argued a lot yes. on our community Slack about <laughs> um coyote jumping. Ah. Does, because that's when you um, 
It's like Wiley Coyote in the cartoons mm-hmm. where you can input a jump a little bit after the person has left the platform. So technically they're in the air already, but um, to make it feel better for the player, you can have the jump button still register. Yes. Yeah. Like I think that what the, the way you said it was important. Really. I feel like it's a feel thing. It feels better to jump a little bit afterwards because oftentimes you will press a um, maybe just a little bit after. Right. And, and like, the the player will look at it and see oh I clearly jumped and it didn't jump this game sucks <laughs> you don't want that feeling mm-hmm. so that's why there is coyote jumping is because it makes the game feel better to yeah. to work it also lets I think I think another maybe less um, praised uh, a benefit of something like that is yeah. it lets players onboard to the controls a little better mm-hmm. so a lot of times when you're using a controller and you 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 hit the jump a lot sometimes. You want you your brain tells you I should go up as I press the button down. Other times, when you especially when you tap a button, yeah, you're like, oh, I want to go up when the button goes up. Like, it does, I mean, the game can handle it, however, right? Mm-hmm. But a player will come to it with expectations, right? And um, uh, like a lot, you know, like for example, when I play Mario, I uh, hold down, you know, I do the B button run the whole time, and so I I I jump not by pressing a button, but by levering my thumb. Mm-hmm. So it's like these kinds of just. The way you physically interact and how you how your mind um, uh, gets the metaphor from your brain to the controller to the thing. So a uh, coyote jumping allows a lot more of those things to work. And then as you learn the system and you more adapt to how the system expects you to do it, it gives you that time and that understanding to adapt what you brought to it to what it expects. So it's not like it's just forgiving. It's not right. going to let you. It's not going to let you play however you want the yeah. whole time. It's just going to let you ease into its method no matter how, what you come to right. it with. Yeah, like, if you add coyote jumping to the game, that's, like, the rule of the game. Now. Yeah. So like, it's yeah. Not like it, it's not like you're losing part of the game. It's that, like, that is how, you just have to approach the game in that, in that way. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's useful. Yeah, it doesn't good. make games any more forgiving or <laughs> yeah. any less precise. Yeah, you um, still have to be just... It is totally precise. a feel thing. It's right. really about the, that perception uh, on, you know, this, it's all from the screen, to, you know, and the all of it is still solid rules, yep. right? Yep, yeah, exactly. There was some argument about oh, it's not real if it's not if you if you're it felt like oh, it's a cheat, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that, but I think I mean the majority of us in the community really felt that like no, it, th- these are tools we use, right? Yeah. And and there's a sort of a uh, a lot of the game players have this debate all the time too. It's like whenever they hear about the smoke and mirrors of uh-huh. game development, they're like, oh, they're lying to me. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all sitting there like, man, we don't have a lot to work with here. We have to lie to you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So, We're not making perfect simulators here. Spoiler alert, y'all! But in <laughs> Iron Man, you know he's not actually shooting people with the <laughs> with the suit. That's like fake. There's CG what? involved, and those people aren't actually dying. Yeah. So. Oh, I feel so much better now. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair to that argument, though, yeah. um, because we, I mean, you're, you're sort of making a little bit more fun of it. Yeah. I, I think I totally understand the idea of. of if you didn't know you were being quote unquote oh, sure. lied to you, sure. like it does feel kind of strange. So okay. Like, oh, okay, I get I but th- that means it's working. Yeah. But if people can feel a little bit betrayed by that, and they're right. like, no, I want it to be more realistic, not knowing they don't actually want that. Sure. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, t- I totally agree yeah. with you. But like, if- I mean, so I, I empathize with that reaction, but I feel like 30 seconds of thinking about it should solve you of that yeah. feeling. But it's something hmm. we should talk about for in the future for sure. But like, you yeah. have to be careful about. Getting uh, and making it feel real, even though it's not. Yeah. But like not doing it too bad, or it's very obvious, and then it just feels like you're 
uh, just being handheld the whole time. Yes, yeah, because you, you also need, you need to have uh, the trust of the player. Right. So what are some platformers that you really like, and why do you really like them? I can't think of a one. Mario, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just there's no platformers that I like at all. None of them. <laughs> no, no, well, uh, topic over. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I say that because it... Every time I think about that, it's like Mario looms so large. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And not for everybody, but for so- someone like me, it definitely does. You uh, know, yeah, I, I like Mario games. And yeah. I'm like generally excited, especially with 3D Mario games. Yeah. I think I like those better than 2D ones, but mm-hmm. I'm not super into Mario games that much. Okay. Uh, I like Donkey Kong Country games. Those are my, yeah. my jam. Talk about precision platformers. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's precision, but like... There's, Did you hear there's a new funky mode? <laughs> yeah, I have to get that on Switch. I haven't gotten it on Switch because I beat it on Wii U, yeah. but I want to play Funky Kong. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, uh, but like what I really like about Donkey Kong Country, there's a lot about momentum mm. and it feels really good to like continue your momentum throughout the whole mm. like game. And I like, like, I kind of like playing platformers that way, like optimizing my movement in yeah. the game. That's how I play Kirby games. I try to, uh, I think I talked about it before, but like in Kirby games, you can, you can puff up and float and fly as much as you want, but that slows you down. So like I try to do that as little as possible, and I use like the powers to help me not do that. That that's when that's when Kirby is like the best for me. Uh, but and like that's basically what Donkey Kong Country is. It's like it's all about controlling your momentum and, and mm-hmm. getting landing where you need to land, so you can keep moving and keep moving faster. And I love that. <laughs> you know what? That sounds. That's kind of what Sonic is like. Yeah, kind of. But we talked about on the show like Sonic at its core is not that great. Man, <laughs> like. I've never played, but uh, I really like watching people play Sonic. I've always loved Sonic, like as a character, and I've lo- I love playing those games. But looking at it critically, like I feel like it's uh, it it that momentum is so important. Yeah, and it, and the game breaks you from it so often uh-huh. that it becomes more frustrating than like sort of educational. That's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing about Sonic games. It's like it it want it like the 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 cool part about Sonic games yeah. is moving really fast and keeping your momentum and 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 you know you gotta go fast. And all yeah, that. but. A lot of the level design uh, combats that it feels like, at yeah. least especially when you're first starting out. I think when you really get into Sonic games, then it gets like you play them right. over and over again. And since there's like a time limit or it keeps track of how far you're going, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, it encourages you to keep playing it and playing it over and get yeah. faster times and stuff like that. So I think when you get back into it, it, it feels better. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't think I've stuck to the Sonic game long enough to ever <laughs> feel it. Yeah. Well, I get what you say about level design because yeah. whenever I play a Sonic level, and I'm going really fast and having the momentum. I yeah. feel like I'm just missing so much. Yeah, that's true. And too. I feel like I'm not really playing it. Be- I think that's because of the level design. Mm-hmm. And I, comparing that to Donkey Kong Country, the games, you, that momentum is really important. Right. But you're always you you don't see glimpses of sixty other ways to go. Right. Right. Sometimes you'll miss a cool alternate path or something, and that's an important part of the game. Yeah. But, um, it still feels like yeah, it doesn't feel as uh, sort of like you're just leaving the world behind <laughs> the way it does in Sonic. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, we make some controversial statements here on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I don't really like Donkey Kong Country because I don't really look for that motivate that, sure. that momentum exactly. Yeah, I like I like the Mario style where it's um, a tense moment and then I do it and then I got a minute to breathe and mm-hmm. then it's like, it's little episodic pieces in a yeah. level and I love that kind of level design. Yeah. Um, so like I appreciate the the what it's doing and I I think I know enough about it to compare where Sonic comes short in that. Yeah. But I just don't like I don't really uh, uh, feel that the way yeah. other players do. I got you. I got you. Uh, Martha, you got to talk about platformers too. <laughs> Which one? I favorite? suppose. <laughs> well, the the one that made me want to talk about this was um, I got this game for the Switch called Flint Hook, which is a uh, indie game 
um, where you play this little pirate, a space pirate, and he's got this um, grappling hook that's like a shaped like an anchor, and you shoot it out and then pull yourself, and you can there's like little um, rings all hanging from the ceiling and all around the levels, and you pull yourself across the levels and it feels so cool. <laughs> um, and it's a lot like rogue legacy um, where you could argue that it's just a, you know, fighting people in rooms thing. Cause it's like you have little rooms in each and go to each one. Uh, and they're kind of procedurally generated yeah. next to each other. Um, I mean, they're sort of procedurally generated in that there's like a bunch of different types and where they are is what's random. Yeah. Um, but uh, the just the movement in that game feels so good. Like yeah. they, it's really got that juice that everyone <laughs> talks about. Um, and so yeah, I've been, had such a good time playing that, even though it's so hard. Like <laughs> uh, I, you have to like beat a couple ships in a row in order to get a chance to go against the boss for that level. And then you, if you lose at the boss, you lose all your like progress and have mm. to start again i mean you keep like power-ups and items or like you know stat changes but mm-hmm. not any of your like you have to do the three ships again yeah. so if you can't get the three like i the first time i got the three ships i was like oh yes and now i get a chance to do the boss but of course the boss is really hard <laughs> so then i had to start over again and then you know try to yeah uh, it just oh, was like. <sighs> <laughs> but uh yeah i've really gotten into that one mm-hmm. um I think the original platformer that I liked was the, was Wario platformer, puzzle platformer. Right. Mm-hmm. Brought that uh, up before, I think. Yes. Is that uh, Game Boy? Yeah. yeah. Game Boy Advance, I think. One of those. Game one Boy, of those. Game Boy Advance. Yeah, but like in Wario Land, you, you couldn't die except for like one specific way or something. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like those those rooms were fun. Yeah, I think I, re- I really like puzzle platformer things because, yeah, it's less about precision and more about... Mm-hmm. Um, Solving puzzles right. and doing like finding unique ways to do stuff. Yeah, is fun. Yeah, yeah. I find if you can find a way to mix those two, like um, I think I've talked about on the show before, like V V V V V. Like that game is great because it is a it's a brutal uh, a precision platformer, but everything is a puzzle, mm-hmm. and the and the solution to the puzzle is once you figured it out, then you have the then you have to execute on it. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, a little less punishing is a game like Thomas was alone. Which oh. is, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's sort of the opposite of a precision platformer. I can't even, to me, I can't even, can't even think about like what is, how the jump feels exactly. I don't remember it. I mostly remember the puzzles and the sort of like the, the solving of the different uh, characters and their different jump types and, and the, the language of, of jumps that the thing had. Um, I found that very interesting and, but in much less punishing than a lot of the indie platformers you, you tend to see. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I'm impressed every time you say VVVV. Yeah, you say the right amount of V's. <laughs> I say five. I don't know five. Oh, is it five? I thought it was. Is it no, no, no. Five? That's what I say. Oh. I don't know how many are actually in the title. V V V V V V. This is off by one. Okay, no. I take it back. <laughs> no longer impressed. <laughs> well, you convinced me long enough, so I'm kind of impressed. Well, I say it with the confidence of someone who knows how many V's are in it. <laughs> yes. I think another thing I really like in platformers is like different powers and going through different levels with different um, mm-hmm. like abilities like uh, Rogue Legacy has that where each character each time you die you come back as a, a, a um, descendant of 
your the character you just played. Yeah. And so each one has a different different set of uh, abilities, um, mm-hmm. and it makes like makes you have to uh, plan your routes differently, or, or like um, gives you access to different areas, uh-huh. which is yeah. really fun. Did you ever you ever play the original Mega Man games? I played some here glitched on the the cons like virtual console thing and dislike (laughs) because it kind of it combines one of the things you hate the most about platformers one of the things you like the most about platformers yes Uh, and the hatred overcame the cool (laughs) so yeah also i just don't like mega man very much i think mega man is ugly like yes i I think well the thing is i think i hate mega man because my first exposure to mega man Uh, was when they canceled one like a favorite cartoon of mine on WB and replaced oh. it with a Mega Man cartoon, which is really <laughs> terrible. <laughs> is that the old one where you go, Doctor? Why we? Is that uh, probably? <laughs> it was bad. Okay. Say it one more time, just to be sure. Doctor, why we? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I no, like- I, I think those games are gross looking, and I know that I, like the Mega Man sprite. Like I have a Mega Man T-shirt. Like I like those yeah. games, but I, they're hard to play because they look gross. Like. <laughs> Okay. Well, okay. I'm the level design it. is very specific about the challenge yeah. and less about it making any sort of aesthetic sense. Oh, sure. And I feel that that is is somewhat important. Okay. You know? I, I guess I can't disagree with that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. I guess when you said I, Mega Man is ugly, I was like, the character of Mega Man looks awesome. No, he's an adorable little boop. That guy, like, <laughs> <laughs> for real. Uh, yeah, but I guess I, I guess I can't disagree. Well, at least the first ones, like the, the old school looking ones. Yeah. The newer ones look better. Well, I was going to say, I, I snuck this into the notes here, uh, mm-hmm. platformers you don't like. Yeah. And this is a good segue, because uh-huh. you know what I think is really ugly? What's that? Mega Man X games. Oh, well, okay. Like those, those like <laughs> anime style ones, 16 bit, like you don't know what, you have no idea where their hitboxes are. Mm. So they're, they're, they're difficult as, as precision platformers and they're not quite. Uh, the fidelity is not quite good enough to be cartoon looking. Mm-hmm. It's just exists. It's gross. <laughs> I don't know. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Oh boy. But I also, I also, <laughs> I also actually, whereas I like playing classic Mega Man, I don't like how Mega Man X games play. Oh, sure. Um, and it's, yeah, they play differently. Yeah. They're, they're, they're their own series. And yeah. I think that's interesting in mm-hmm. fact, but I don't like them at all. It's literally just like they have the air dash and the wall jump that makes them so different, yeah. I think, right? Well, a, a big part of it, and I've, I've talked to you about this before because we were arguing about whether we were going to put a dash in Widget Satchel. Oh, and I put yeah. my foot down on it. <laughs> I very much dislike dashing in yeah. platformers. I feel that's a totally different mechanic. And it's like, you know, I'm not going to say that no one can put them in any platformer, but I feel like it's not, it's just so, it's, it's different. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's from a different language of action game. I mean, I, 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 I don't necessarily agree with that because... Uh-huh. Like it is a it is still a method of like getting through uh, a level and fer- trying yeah. to figure out how to get through a level. So it's like a t- it's just another tool in a platform or toolbox. I just I don't like games that rely on it sure. as a principal form of motion, particularly okay. Um, because uh, again, it's the thing I was talking about about that 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 parabola. Yeah, like it breaks that entirely, and yeah. it becomes more becomes more like a fighting game where it's about ah. it's about it's about button combos and stuff. Okay, and getting that right, and so yeah, that's probably why we disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> Uh, um, well, what do you? What platformers don't you like? What platformers don't I like? Uh, I don't want to be the only jerk on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of. Well, I don't like Rogue Legacy, but I don't like it for a different reason, and I don't want to get into it. I think I already <laughs> talked about it before. Uh, yeah, uh, it's not because of the platformer. Mm. Um, jeez, 
I don't know. I guess oh, I feel like I like most kinds of platformers. I just I'm just not super into them a lot mm-hmm. of the times. Yeah. So like I'll play them and I'll enjoy them and I'll beat them and stuff, but I'm not like into it like a like a. Well, you're saying you're not super into this is not like hating them, but you're not super into the 2D Mario's. Yes. I thought we shared that, but really we just like the 3D Mario's equally. Yeah, right? I like okay. the 3D Mario's a lot, mm-hmm. but the 2D Mario's I'm not as into. Hmm. I think it's like largely because like uh, the gimmick of like especially the newer ones i don't like new super mario bros games yeah because they just feel very gimmicky i don't know i don't know what they did to make it feel more gimmicky than the previous ones but it just yeah each level just feels like a gimmick and so you go through the gimmick and then you get you go through the gimmick so you can get to the next gimmick this is too much oh that's a level design thing really it's actually quite celebrated in some ways where it's like mario games newer ones they they have a great idea use it once and then have a new great idea i I could totally see why that would turn you off yeah right i mean they do that in like uh the 3d ones what super mario 3d world and stuff yeah yeah but like that one has the level design of a 2d mario yeah but it feels better i think maybe it's because it's more important that you're like exploring Maybe. Or maybe it's just because it's in 3D and I like that better. Could it be because Cat Mario? Cat Mario, that's true. Tanuki Mario. <laughs> also Tanuki yeah. Mario. Uh, but okay, I will say that yeah. Super Mario, New Super Mario Bros. 2 has Penguin Super Mario. Yeah. So I got to give it that. <laughs> Penguin yeah. Super Mario is important. I really like New Super Luigi uh, U. Oh, yeah. And not just because it stars Luigi. <laughs> I know that you all think that. <laughs> Uh, because it may, one you play as Luigi, and so he uh, j- jumps higher and is slipperier. And I I like those controls yeah. in Mario Two, for example. Mm. And also every level has a hundred second timer, so that that uh, speed up music starts right away. Oh, and so they're all very short levels. Yeah, and so it's the closest a Mario game gets to a pure precision platformer. Yeah, because uh, it has the time constraint as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of Mario's have elements of that, but it's really pure in, in that one particularly. I feel like I could get into that game, but yeah. I just never got to get around to it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to I want to settle the debate here really quick. Uh-huh. Who's better, Mario or Luigi? Luigi. Okay, Luigi, right? Peach. <laughs> Dang. Well, in Mario Two, Peach. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, no, Peach for sure. In, in Mario Two, yeah. yeah Toad. Toad. He's all right. <laughs> now, Captain Toad. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Toad's pretty yeah. great. Okay, we need to save some time because Martha, you got to tell us about all the platformers you hate. Oh yes. Oh, let me count the ways. <laughs> um. Well, mostly, I think, I've said this on this show before, but I think playing my first Mario, 2D Mario, really turned me off from most, thinking that I liked most platformers, you know? Like, I played it and hated it, and so then I was like, nope, platformers are not for me, I hate them, they can all go away, go live in their place over there. (laughs) Wasn't it it Super Mario Land? Yeah. For Game Boy? It was, yeah, whatever Game Boy Color thing. weird one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is, I've heard now heard many many times that <laughs> people won't shut up about it <laughs> yeah but still like i just didn't like that part of it and so like i don't really pick to play them very yeah. often like one that came out uh within the past couple of years is um ori in the blind forest yeah which is another like very difficult one mm-hmm. and everyone loved it and was like oh my god it's so sad and so beautiful and i was like i <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a platform yeah. <laughs> and um i really liked playing never alone mm-hmm. um because of all the like cool story and and yeah. um culture and stuff like that right but it, it sounds like you played it in spite of the fact that it was a platformer right okay yes <laughs> Which, um, i, mean, I wish true. it hadn't been a platformer right. point and click would have worked really well for that yeah, but anyway <laughs> and i think the one of the reasons like there's story reasons why i didn't get through part of part, uh, Night in 
night in the woods. But yeah. another thing was being annoyed at the platforming controls <laughs> and being like, how am I supposed to jump? Like jump, 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 triple jump. Mm-hmm. Can you um, triple jump in that game? No, but you oh. it's like every third jump is higher. Oh, than, oh, oh, so Super Mario 64 triple jump. I like in yes. Super Mario 64, you if you jump with good timing in three three successful. Oh yeah. Mario Mario Odyssey has that too. Yes. Then it's, you jump higher. Yeah, it's like that. Okay. Uh, I think, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. I couldn't get it very often. <laughs> so I just sit there trying to jump on a thing. Um, yeah. I want to play one of those um, uh, Mario Maker levels where you don't have to move at all and you just keep on going. I made a bunch of those um, <laughs> with Mario Maker. I did so, so it was a, a automatic Mario. Is what yeah. they called it. Now, I um, made a bunch of levels called semi-automatic Mario. <laughs> and what it was is you, it was automatic Mario, but there were five places in the level where you had to get the timing right. <laughs> or you had to jump right because and I, no one else had done that. I thought that's a cool idea that you have like little sections. They didn't get a lot of plays. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a lot of it, right? Is like the 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 when you press the A button, and that's very important in in endless runners. You got to figure out when you're going to press yeah. the A button. Like Cannibal, for example, mm-hmm. all you have is A button, and how old how long you hold the A button. So like you had to figure out the best way to do that. Uh, I think that's important. Yeah. Well, if you're a Mario that doesn't have to move, then you don't have much player agency. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my topic is player agency, and I wanted to define it first. Uh-huh. Well, she is player agency. <laughs> I love when you do that voice. <laughs> Truly, a question for the ages. Player agency. We gotta have you narrate some trailers. <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah, agency. I don't know where we're going. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so I really like this definition from this RPG.stackexchange thing. I'll mm-hmm. link it to the, in, the, in the show notes because there's a lot of more detail to it. Yeah. But um, this person defines player agency as three. There's three criteria. Uh, the player has control over their own character's decisions. Those decisions have consequences in the, in the game world. And the player has enough information to anticipate what those consequences might be before making them. Ah, that third one is, I think that's the key. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Um, so I really like this one because, like, I, I mean, it, it defines it very well. It's uh, in, in video games, this is, uh, this, this is specifically for, like, tabletop RPGs. So, like, a DM needs to make sure that players have some agency but don't have too much agency because, like, you still have to tell a story and stuff. Oh, like sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, in a video game, the developers have a lot of the control over what, what players can and can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really important to figure like it's really important to make sure that players have agency to feel like the fact that they're playing a video game actually makes sense aside from or, or they're otherwise they're just watching a movie yeah um but you also need to make sure that like you're able to control it in a way that like it makes the game fun or interesting or in some way um because if you just let players do whatever they want then there's no goal then there's no reason to really play it I guess you right, know in a right. lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now there there are games like Goat Simulator where there's technically not a goal, but there is because I think you can get points or something. But like, <laughs> the points, I don't mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean that is an example of a game where you have all the agency in the world, mm-hmm. except you don't because there's still rules and stuff. There's there's gravity, for example. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but I wanted to talk about player agency because. Uh, I really find it fascinating when games take that agency away, mm. uh, and it, it can really it can really make an impactful like story 
um, point um, when you some, when you give players uh, agency or remove agency. Yeah. So I've talked about it on the show before, and this game is old enough where y'all should have played it by now. But Brothers: A Tale of Two Sons <laughs> has that one part at the end where uh, the older brother dies, and so you lose Spoiler! the ability. Yes, <laughs> you lose the ability to uh, uh, control uh, the older brother because you know he's not there. So you just lose half of your controller ability. And then you get to the part where you like the older brother would normally do this part and you're just a little brother and you can't do it. Then you try doing older brother moves and then like older brother inhabits your a body or something or you gain confidence and you're able to do it. That felt really good because like yeah. for a moment I felt I, I was I was I lost like, like half of my abilities and I, I couldn't do a lot of things. And I was like, what do I, how do I get past this? But then I was given that ability uh, for one character. And also, it kind of makes more sense in that game because, like, it's always it was really awkward to play that whole game because you're playing as two brothers with the sticks, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden you're playing as one person with the confidence of two people. Yeah, it's like it's cool. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the the narrative implications of that we have talked about on the show before yeah. are just like profound yes. in how it, it it tells that story. Yes. through controls, mm-hmm. but uh, from that angle, it's really interesting as well because it uses agency as a something that the um, to communicate to the player. Yeah, right, and like that narrative hook wouldn't work. Unless they understood the rules. Right. 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 Um, and yeah. I think that part of the reason why I don't like a lot of, narratively, I don't like a lot of like AAA games that come out, mm-hmm. especially recently, is that they're oftentimes, they oftentimes still want the player to feel good about playing the game yeah. and feel good while playing the game and stuff. So, like, and you're not into that. <laughs> yeah, screw fun. Uh, <laughs> games are serious business. Yes. No, uh, it's because, like, because they, like the game will not go the extra step to make you feel something yeah. that I can't stand. If you like, if you just take away all the controls or take away certain amounts of controls or instead give me controls or something, instead of boiling it down to a button press, I don't know, like something, yeah, it, it can make the game feel a lot better at that moment, at least for me. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like the different, like thinking of like an Assassin's Creed mission. Yeah. There's a difference between like, taking out two guys from the rooftop in the normal gameplay versus getting to the, the story beat at the end, pressing square and then a cutscene playing where you take out the guy and right. the whole scuffle happens. Yeah. And then, then it, it cutscenes over and now you're running on the street yeah. or something like yeah. th- that kind of removal of agency doesn't really, that's in service only of the cinematic portion and not really in terms of like the player doesn't have any sort of any, there's nothing interesting for the player. Right. The player doesn't do anything. Right. You're, if you assume you are the character, then yeah. like it probably feels good to be, see your, the character doing these things. Mm-hmm. But since I'm always divorced from the character when I play a game, I want to do the thing. Right. I guess. Right. And it's not even just a matter of like just the single button press. Like mm-hmm. if the if you the single button press, but if you stayed in game mode, yeah, is different than a cutscene, even yeah. though the res- ending result is the same. Yeah. Right. Actually, that, that brings up a good point. Uh, the most recent God of War game, and I've been sort of watching it with my brother, and I know things, but won't tell them. <laughs> I won't say that, because that game just came out. And yeah. I, you, you don't have to feel ashamed for having not beat that yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, in that game, like it has, it has a constant camera focus. Like The camera never pan- or uh, What's the word when you go from one place to another in a second? A cut? Yeah, that. It doesn't <laughs> have a cut. There are no cuts. Like The camera just follows and moves like constantly mm-hmm. with right it's like yeah. a single shot the whole game yeah right yeah yeah that's a technological achievement that is yeah, that yeah. Is, I'm, I'm really curious as to how they got that to work um but like it's really interesting in that way because like that means that kratos has to do the things 
and like you see it from the regular perspective you normally see it or like at least it moves you into that position so like maybe there's more connection there mm-hmm. as a result um, right, cutscenes are sort of fluid with the gameplay yeah. even more than a lot of uh, you know other games do that mm-hmm. but th- this game apparently does it like in such a, a specific way yeah 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 um but i wanted to ask the question should games always give players agency yes or no that's a that feels like a trap perhaps <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to let martha answer it first <laughs> um no. Well, how about this? Let's. Uh, I want to reframe it a little bit because you <laughs> sure. were talking about like tabletop games yeah. and that kind of thing. And you know who's really good at balancing player agency with guiding the story is Martha. Yeah. When she runs Mouse Guard. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, like you are an expert GM. You're so good. And I want to know how you think about that when someone in the party says, "I want to buy a new hat in town," and then <laughs> you give us a 20 minute experience at rather dashing haberdashery, <laughs> and like just. Out of the gate, like it's like it's it, it's got, it's part improvisation, but also you sort of plan for things like this. But you make you always make us feel when we're playing that we are the ones guiding the story. And then afterward, I'm like, there's no way we were the ones guiding that story. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, yeah. How do I do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, now say it in a way that doesn't give away your secret. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Um, I just like it's. A, I have some things planned Mm -hmm. ahead of time. Like there are places I want you to go and people, NPCs I want you to talk to and situations that need investigating. But um, I think it's more fun for me. Like the last, the last session um, this past week, not for you listeners, but whatever. Um, I didn't plan anything mm-hmm. for what was going on except for like, you're going this way. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was it. <laughs> um, and so, uh, it was cool because some new, a new player joined and he decided that his goal for the session was going to be, I'm going to fix a bridge. And I was like, okay, that's the first story beat. You're going <laughs> to fix a bridge. <laughs> Thank you for doing my job for me. <laughs> What was great um, about that is we came across a down bridge and then uh, he had a solution. Oh, we'll cut down some trees. But then we rolled and it didn't work. And then we all had to scramble. And at no point did you look like you didn't know what you were doing. Like you <laughs> <laughs> just rolled with it. Yep. And it seemed so perfect. And it all, it, we, and then we all sort of like figured out a way to do it. And then you threw in the connective tissue to make it feel more, a little bit more like a, made it feel more real, you know? Yeah. Well, I always want players to feel like there are, um, like they're if they come up with a clever idea, I don't want to like be like, well, that's not what I thought you should do. <laughs> so no, you can't. <laughs> um, although sometimes, sometimes I do that. If there's, yeah, sometimes a GM has to do that. Yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs> yeah. It's true. <laughs> like when I'm running a Star Trek RPG, and then Lane wants to murder everybody with his ice pick. <laughs> like that's. It's not really Starfleet attitudes, but you know, you are the player. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, I think it helps that you players are, who play with me are all very like, we want the story to go well and yeah. don't really want to disrupt anything that's happening <laughs> because I play with some other people at my house that uh, just derail 
my friend Ben's campaign yeah. like so badly. <laughs> so that's so. I think that's that's the key is that um, that cooperation between player and game system, right? Yeah. So bringing that back to video games, how does yeah. a developer like establish that relationship? Because it's not just about setting the boundaries; so that's yeah. a big part of it. But you also have to create an environment where the player doesn't feel constricted by those boundaries Mm-mm-mm. and also feels free to move within them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like that, that, that's very important. I like you brought it up before, like you had to have trust. The player needs to be able to trust that the game developer is doing things correctly mm-hmm. and like, isn't trying to lead you in a, a in a bad direction. Um, and sometimes you can play around with that trust uh, where like you'll lead them in a direction and then, ha ha, gotcha. And yeah. Something bad happens. Um, and that's cool too, but like the player needs to basically, I think like the player needs to trust that you're going to entertain them in some way. Yeah. Even if it's like a bad entertaining way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like, that's a and player agency is like that tool that allows you to do that kind of stuff. Right. Right. Um, well, I mean, I think the, I've talked on the show probably three or four times, but mm-hmm. that moment in Batman Arkham Knight yes. that I love yes. where, where you were, where, um, you are, it's sort of a half cutscene, half control, where you, as Batman, you're infected with the Joker serum and you, mm-hmm. you lock yourself up. Mm-hmm. And then you fantasize about uh, 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 the Joker in your mind letting you out. But in, a, in the real story, you are actually letting yourself out. Mm-hmm. But you, as the character, believe you're doing the right thing. Right. But you, as the player, are, are doing sort of this linear path. And it's just a great storytelling. And it does take away a ton of player agency. And it does play with that trust in a way that once that sequence is over, you're so impressed by it playing with it that you trust the game even more after that. Yeah. You know? Do players have as much agency as they think they do in games? Which is a weird question, right? It is weird because <laughs> I, I want to say they know. I, I also, as a developer, I want the player to know exactly how much I give them. Yeah. But them to sort of role play like they have more, right? Mm. Um, but I want them as a player to actually know. Because okay. there's a difference between, um, I feel like there is a difference. Uh, it's like a, like breaking the fourth wall or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Like it's not necessarily, like the smoke and mirrors isn't about tricking a player. Yeah. It's about uh, providing a feel for the player. But, right. but deep down, I want them to understand the boundaries and the limits. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that's part of that trust. But it should feel like you have more power, I guess. Does that make okay. any sense? I think it does. Yeah. Like, like it's important that the player it's important that the player yeah it's important that like you communicate to the player that they have this amount of agency yeah and they understand that as the player that they have this amount of agency right i guess i don't disagree with that mm-hmm. but like sometimes well i mean in 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 some games like for example uh the, the what's it walking dead the telltale games mm-hmm. they'll do that thing where blah blah we'll remember this oh yeah but like i've heard that sometimes they don't actually do anything Right, it's so like seventy five percent of the time that's true, and twenty five percent. I'm just spitballing with it. Sure, that. yeah, yeah. And, but yeah, sometimes it's just like there to make you feel that it's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes it feel like the decision you just made is important, but it actually is not. Right. In which case, they have the player has less agency than yeah you're telling. I think that one is people praise that sometimes as a as a successful bit of of, of smoke and mirrors. But I I played the Batman Telltale, which does that. Like yeah. Commissioner Gordon won't forget this. And um, and after a while, I just stopped believing it, right? Because it didn't seem to matter. Um, and one of the things that um, uh, David Cage, whose game Detroit recently mm. came out, uh, is that out? I think so. Um, I, mean, I don't. I don't. Know. I don't think it's out. Yet. Anyway, uh, there's a, there's a whole, there's like ten different controversial issues surrounding that company and that yeah. game. Yeah. But one of the things that's interesting <laughs> about that game versus previous David Cage games is that. Um, in previous uh, games of his, there's these narrative games. They're, uh, they're practically uh, uh, QTEs for 
seven hours. Yep. Um, and they're they're good and also terrible. But um, they uh, they always they have like thirty endings, right? And they have always different things. But mm-hmm. you as the player never see the alternates. Right. It always feels very smooth and natural. Everything you do, everything you do feels like it's the only way it could happen. Yeah. And that that was something that David Cage talked about in an interview. Where he said, "Oh, that I always wanted that." But then I realized that it actually took a lot away from the player because they didn't understand how unique their experience was. Right. And, and not just as a way of like showing off all the different endings. So in Detroit, in the menu, you can actually see the branching storylines and what you didn't take. And it gives you a tiny hint as to what the road not taken but without spoiling anything. Uh-huh. And I, th- I thought that was a really cool balance. And, and hearing him talk about how he changed his mind because he used to be very much against that kind of idea. Because yeah. he wanted to say like the player should always feel like anything is possible. Yeah. But then, if that's the case, then the player often feels like only one thing is possible, right. the thing that happens. Yeah. So I found that fa- very fascinating. Martha, what do you think? Do you think that like players have as much agency as they think they do in games? I like trying to find the boundaries of how much I have control yeah. over a thing. Like, I think that's one reason why I really like finding all the little secrets that uh, like Easter egg things that people leave in their games. Yeah. Like in Borderlands, you can you know find a clap trap that's hidden in a w- in a place that's slightly off the map, but you can still get to if you jump a certain way. Mm. And it made me feel like oh, I'm discovering the secret thing, even though everyone else has probably already discovered it. But like yeah. it made me feel like oh, I've tricked the game developers. <laughs> I know I can find it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Super Mario Odyssey does that a little bit, where like. You can get into this place that, like, it is very apparent you shouldn't be able to get to, but then there's like coins there that the developers already knew what yeah. you were about to do. <laughs> <laughs> that feels good and also bad, but also great. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a wonderful feeling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it is. It's like, um, like speed runs and like then to have all of these hacks. Yeah. But those are pretty low level that just a good player can can get and makes mm-hmm. them feel good. Mm-hmm. But then seeing that the developer saw that, it might feel disappointing to some people. But to me, that and I think a lot of people feel this way. It's like being held in a warm and Brace by Nintendo. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's safe. You can do that, all these crazy yeah. fun things. It's, it's, like, it's like a, it's the, um, it's the sort of theme park version of of, of an exploit. Yeah, <laughs> theme park versions of an exploit. I think it's great. I like. That. <laughs> it's like, and Nintendo's like, you did it, kid. Good yeah, job. yeah. <laughs> Here's thirty five coins. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about like uh, the best ways to control the player agency or give player agency? Like, I mean, obviously button presses, right? You, uh-huh. If you have a button. I'm a fan. You press, yeah. Pressing buttons is pretty good. Uh- <laughs> and and not being able to press buttons. Like, um, thing that's a cutscene in one of the DLCs for uh, Destiny 2. Uh-huh. Um, sort of, I mean, at one point it takes away your, your, you can't, you can only look around. You can't do anything yeah. because this big bad guy is like, like throwing a force at you that you can't escape and Mm -hmm. um it felt really cool because like it made you feel like this guy is super bad because no other um bad guy was able to stop you from moving yeah so that felt really good yeah oh that reminds me sort of spoiler that reminds (laughs) me of the moment in paper mario like the first boss you fight bowser right away and then you're fighting him and you're clearly gonna beat him because he's bowser and he loses every time but uh (laughs) He gets the star rod or something, and then he, oh no, he has the star rod already, and then he powers himself up. Like, you're in the middle of a RPG fight, and you're, you're whooping him, and then he powers himself up, and then uh, he, like, destroys you, and he throws you out of the castle and stuff. That was a cool moment, because, like, you felt like you had player agency until that was stripped away, because you could not be- beat him at that point. 
least as far as I know. I'm sure somebody has hacked it or something <laughs> yeah. to beat him now. <laughs> and I'm curious how the game would handle that. Yeah. But uh, like that was a cool moment because mm-hmm. like you all you understood how, just how much po- more powerful Bowser became in that moment. Yeah. And how much you needed to work to get to do, to defeat him. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that that can have a cool story moment right there. Should players be able to write their own stories in their games? I mean, it's going to happen anyways because like players do what they want. Yeah. They break your game if they feel like it. Yeah. And that's cool. But like, should they be able to? Like, like, well, I think we talked about it a little bit before, but like Skyrim, for example, um, it's very much encouraged for you to be able to build your own story and do your own thing, even though like the end of the world is at stake, kind of because dragons are destroying towns and stuff. But you know, you can you have enough time to go shopping, right? <laughs> In the tradition of all urgent uh, end of the world crises, yeah. there's a lot of side quests on the way. Yes. <laughs> Um, is, is it important that players uh, be able to write their own stories in games? Like, do, do you, I guess a, a better way of phrasing it is like, do you find that valuable that players are able to um, create their own stories in, in your game? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm sure it does, it does depend on the game. <laughs> but like, are you interested at all in like allowing players to be able to create your stories in games you would make? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, cool when sort of emergent stories happen between people like when there's a whole or not a whole necessarily but just like here's a bunch of mechanics Mm -hmm. and what you know the interesting stories that happen when people actually start playing the game yeah it's really cool yeah like um i don't play PUBG, but i watch a lot of PUBG on um, cause I like Polygon and they do awful squad, <laughs> uh, which is their, their weekly PUBG stream. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just like, that game is so cool for that because there is no story, but like all these dramas happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one game where they were, they invited a bunch of people to come play with like strangers to come play with them. Um, but then they, for some reason they all, like all the Polygon people died, but then, they couldn't figure out how to restart the server, so they just had to watch everybody else for like the next half hour. Oh wow! <laughs> and so, like, they started like shoutcasting what was going on between these strangers. <laughs> That's pretty great. <laughs> Competitive games uh, are are a good domain for that sort of player story. Yep. I think about like when when players play Metro Nexus, and I sometimes like, hey, try two on two teams. And they'll be like, okay. And then I'll say, you know, if one of you is like whooping the others and you want to teach them a lesson, try three on one. Mm. And I love then the, they form this little fiction uh, amongst themselves. Mm. And I think that's really valuable. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I feel differently. And I've talked on the show before about like how I feel about single player games or open world games where yeah. players expect to do whatever they want. Yeah. I feel like that's sort of like cheapens what the developer can offer, I guess. Mm. Um, but it's particularly in, game, in competitive games like PUBG. Um, where there is a story that is amongst the players yeah. that the developer um, is encouraging by uh, through the game, not um, as a, a exception to the game, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's an important part of games as a social activity. Uh-huh. Um, For sure. Yeah. Like it's, it's difficult to engage in a game that in a multiplayer game that doesn't encourage you to make your own story. Yeah. If you're just like going through the motions as a group, that's less like you'll, you'll just, uh, focus your story making and, and your own things I guess instead yeah. of the game so in a way it's beneficial to make to allow that 
And that's why when you're playing a co-op game with friends and someone's not picking up the slack it, and they are writing their own story, like they're being yeah. silly yeah. or they're like, or they're charging ahead right. and like taking all the kills or whatever. Uh-huh. Like it starts to feel bad because it's, because uh, the developer laid a framework and some of you are playing along and some of you aren't, yeah. you know, and so that, that becomes, there's that sort of pull between. Um, but when the game could, the game is designed around players creating their own story, then I'm totally, I'm really in favor of that. Okay. Well, that just reminds me again of Elite Dangerous, and I think I've talked about this before, but um, that's a game that really reminds me of the DM uh, player experience because ah. the developers are c- constantly developing that game and adding new content, and they sort of do it by watching a bunch of what players are doing and yeah. hearing like what they say in the forums and stuff, and then they'll just add something in <laughs> based on what people are talking about, yeah. um, which is super, so cool. Like mm-hmm. that... That game from making up like that dialogue between the the player and developer is so cool. <laughs> That's a fascinating example because like the players actually have agency in how the game is built. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess in a way, like a lot of fighting games are that way. Like they'll patch a game afterwards, and like that's that change is based on like how the how how players are playing the game. So like if something is too powerful, the the game developers will patch it so that it is less powerful, and as a result, the players influence the narrative of the game. In mm-hmm. a way. Just ask. I guess that's a meta narrative, though, so maybe it's not exactly applicable, but it's kind of applicable. I think. I mean, it makes sense to me. Yeah. I think yeah. famously, Eve Online mm. is very much like that, where right. the, the the players. I mean, they have history books yeah. of player activity, and it's right. like the only MMO that really made true to that promise that all MMOs make, which is that you are part of a, a universe, right? Instead of just like going through the motions and then doing your own thing in a social area, like Eve Online really mm. like is that. And the developers are definitely definitely respond to those things. I feel like. I'm out of choices. But I'm tiss. <laughs> hey, that's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app. Be sure to get a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. You can uh, give us feedback also on the feedback form. Let us know uh, how we're doing. Where can they find that? Nicegames.club slash feedback. Wow, you really ramped it up at the end there. <laughs> I love it. We also want to hear directly from you, of course. So follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Let us know how we're doing. Send us your topics and ask us your questions. Uh, lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice host, as well as get all the links and notes from this and other episodes at NiceGames.club. And so, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Welcome to our ASMR podcast. <laughs> Quick, stock, talk about Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put me on the spot like that. <laughs> you know, the, the Star Trek TNG expansion for Bridge Crew. I know, I'm super excited. <laughs> yeah. Also, they're doing the DS9 expansion to, to, to um, Star Trek Online, apparently. Like, they got all the DS9 vo- people to do voice acting for it. That might bring me back. <laughs> <laughs> I might buy it for that or join it. I don't know how that works. Let's crew a ship together. Yay! <laughs> uh, hi, Stephen. Welcome back. Hi. Hey. <laughs> we um, hijacked the podcast to talk about Star Trek. <laughs> of course. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero.co. 